Welcome to the Jet Setting Family Travel Podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Rod. And we are so excited to have you guys here with us today. A big welcome to everyone who's new. Thank you for listening. And we hope to be able to provide you with some great travel knowledge on this episode today. Yes, we're going to be talking about a place that most people probably have never heard of and should know about because it's pretty epic. <laughs> awesome. Called Langkawi, Malaysia. So first off, where is Langkawi? Langkawi is a small island off of the northwestern coast of Malaysia. It's actually really close to Thailand. You can see Thailand and one of the islands there from uh, one of the attractions there in Langkawi. But basically, we call it the Maui of Malaysia because there were forests, there were mountains, and there were beaches. And it was just amazing. Yeah, there was a little bit of everything, even some waterfalls. Um, so our first stop there, we decided to go to the Skycap, which is actually the world's steepest cable car up the mountain. It's pretty intense on your way up, and it is located within a UNESCO-recognized geopark called the... Machin Chang Cambrian Geoforest Park. Thanks, because I can never say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mount Machin Chang is the second tallest mountain there. Um, it's in the northwestern part of the island. The cable car is what takes you up to Mount Machin Chang, and it's just incredible. The views are 360-degree views. To your north, you see Thailand. To the west, you see all these different shades of blue ocean water. And then to the south, you see a little village. And to the east, you see a waterfall. It is just an incredible view, a beautiful ride. A little bit scary because it's steep, but it was fun and safe nonetheless. The kids weren't scared. It was me. Let's be real. I was the most <laughs> nervous of all of us. And I'm not even scared of heights. I've like skydived. But there's something about like sitting at this top of the steep cable car thinking if something happens I'm just gonna like fall down into the one underneath me that freaked me out I guess it's because it doesn't have a parachute I don't know yeah but one thing to know you can make a whole day experience out of this there is an oriental village at the bottom of the cable car and they've got restaurants they've got shopping they've got a couple of attractions like the world's second largest 3d art museum if you come to Southeast Asia in general you will find that these 3d art museums just seem to be everywhere. They're a big like, deal. They're a big deal. But this one was massive, like huge. The kids loved it. At least Santi thought it was super cool and he kind of understood the concept because a lot of these you have to stand at a certain location to make it look 3D. And so he understood and so it was really fun to see him interact with the art. Nora just ran around like a crazy person and we just had fun like trying to take creative pictures and looking around. But it yeah, was Yeah, you got so scenes huge. like sharks trying to eat you, then there's dinosaurs. But really I think what we, what excited us most was the people watching. Because yes. you see these people that are making these crazy poses, everyone's getting pictures on their phones, and I think I was granted, yes, the art is incredible. People but watching's pretty the hilarious. The people watching was funny. You get to see people get in some crazy, crazy creative positions. And afterwards, we were able to go to... The Seven Wells Waterfall. That is really close to the Sky Cab, but it's, it's about an hour hike. And we were able to do it with Nora and Santi. But at the top, you see these seven little pools with cascading water through them. And they, they make these natural kind of rock slides that you can slide across when... Um, when it's rainy season and it's it's just a beautiful hike that is fun to do 
and you get some really nice kind of splashing. So make sure that you take your swimsuit so that you can swim at the top of the hike. My one recommendation that we forgot to talk about was when you get dropped off there, you will notice that there's a bunch of little food stands, kind of like street food. Mm-hmm. They're kind of probably not the place that you would necessarily yeah, want to eat. They just sell little snacks yeah. and drinks. Um, and we arrived so hungry and we're like, okay, well, we better eat so the kids aren't grumpy. So we we're like, this is the only option. So we grabbed a bunch of unhealthy food like Lay's and sodas and whatever things we don't typically eat all day and sat down and ate them and we were the only people really there besides taxi drivers not realizing that was like the taxi driver food stand area and if had we walked across this tiny little rope bridge yeah like 100 feet yeah it was not far we were just i guess tired we would have entered into the oriental village where there's like restaurants and ice cream shops and it's like this whole little town within itself (laughs) so when you get there if you go hungry walk across the little tiny bridge (laughs) yeah don't be like us uh we were getting some funny looks from the locals there just because they're like what are you doing here we're like pretty much sitting on the floor like eating lays chips like (laughs) stuffing our faces as there was like Uh, decent places like not decent but like indoor seated places to eat so whoops our bad we hope you learn from our mistakes because I don't know. Maybe had we heard a podcast about it, we would have walked over the bridge. (laughs) Absolutely. The next activity that is absolutely worth doing is on the northeast part of the island. Uh, Just to note real quick, it's a small enough island that there's very little traffic and you can get from one side of the island to another in under an hour, usually about a half an hour. So a lot of these places that you go to are really accessible from any location that you stay at on the island. Anyway, Kilim Karst Geoforest Park. It's on the northeast side of the island, and it's these beautiful mangroves, and we took a um, motorboat ride that was just breathtakingly beautiful. It was beautiful, and you get to stop at different places throughout the day that they kind of have planned for you. Um, We opted to go on a private tour because we had the kids and wanted the flexibility, depending on how they were doing, to stay as long as we wanted at each stop. But we stopped at the Bat Caves, which was really fascinating for Santi to see the bats up close. Mm -hmm. And then we stopped at a private island that we, ironically, that day ended up being the only people there. So Mm -hmm. it was private for the day. I can't guarantee that in the future. Um, that was gorgeous. We got to go to a site where they fed, e- or they don't feed eagles, but it's like an eagle site where the eagles are swooping down into the water and you can see them really close from yeah. the boat. And just- You get to see these really incredible limestone rock formations that are really high up. So that combined with like the mangrove trees just makes for a really cool site. And then you're, you know, going across these little river channels that feed off into the sea. And then going into the beach afterward, it was just really, really beautiful. We we did a four-hour uh, boat ride, and it also took us. They took us at the end to like a, a fish feeding farm, and then a restaurant that's kind of on stilts on the side of the river, and that was that was kind of fun. But overall, just the day was amazing. It was fun, and the stops were really fun to get the kids out and walking and moving. But um, just the ride itself, like if you didn't even want to do the stops, like just 
being able to drive through everything was gorgeous and definitely worth it. I think if you're someone who maybe your kids are a little older and you don't need that flexibility with them as much, I probably, if we went back and our kids were older, would have preferred doing more of a guided tour. Mm -hmm. Um, Those sometimes, they don't have that many people on them, say eight people, but you'd share your boat uh, with someone else. But you have a guide who's actually providing a lot of valuable information at each stop and about the mangroves and Uh, You just probably would get a lot more information from the tour than for us. We almost the private tour for us was more of like renting a taxi. The guy was taking us to where we wanted to go, but wasn't going to provide information. So we had to do more of the research on our own about what we were seeing and what we were doing. So that's just something to note, whether you want to do a private tour and have that flexibility, but maybe not gain as much knowledge Mm -hmm. or do more of a group tour with a guide. I think Deb's mangrove tour was like the most popular one that we saw there um Mm -hmm. we did not ride that so i can't vouch for it but we heard (laughs) great things from other people saying that they were super eco-friendly and provided awesome info one of the ways a lot of people we met with in langkawi got around is it's really popular in langkawi to do jet ski tours and they're either half day or full day tours and you could jet ski to a bunch of different islands surrounding langkawi Uh, We had hoped to do that, but couldn't find a sitter and didn't know if Nora would last like (laughs) five or six hours on a jet ski. So we will probably go back to Langkawi in the future and do that because we love Langkawi so much. We look forward to going back. Yeah, but really we spent a lot of time at the beach. Yes, the beach was gorgeous. The sand was like beautiful white sand, perfect for sandcastles. And it was a lot, a lot of fun. We did have... One super scary day at the beach. We were at the beach at our hotel. We stayed at Holiday Villa Langkawi, which mm-hmm. was a really great place for families. But we're at the beach, and I kept hearing in the distance, it sounded like a kid just repetitively yelling, like, blah, blah. And I was trying to figure out what they were saying. And so I was kind of paying attention. But when I looked out, it looked like a woman was just standing there. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to stress about it. So right when I sat down with Nora, these screams that had been going on, um, I could clearly hear help. I think the confusing part for me about it was there were so many people close to this woman, like in the water, and so many people way closer than we were walking by the beach, not reacting. So that was what, when I originally heard the yelling, I, was, I looked out to see if anyone was reacting. Nobody was reacting. So finally, when I heard help, I just yelled at Rod to look for look at Nora. He was playing soccer on a field with Santi close by, close enough he could keep an eye on her mm-hmm. and get to her. And I just booked it into the water. And it was so scary, guys, because when I got to the water, this person I thought was one lady standing, because that's what my thought was, is if she's yelling and standing, she's probably okay. I realized had this lifeless person in her arms, like cradling her. And I mean, my heart sank. It was like this panic survival mode of like, oh my gosh. So myself and another French woman who was running into the water at the same time as I helped carry this lady out of the water. Um, Her friend who had been yelling for help at this point was physically exhausted. I think physically and emotionally, like she pretty much just handed the lady to us and we were terrified. And I and thankfully, the other person who was ran in with me, the French woman, was a actual swim teacher. So when she said that, I knew she had some sort of CPR training in case it was needed. But she started slapping the girl's face immediately. And by the time we got her out of the water onto the beach, she woke up, thankfully, and was very sick. And 
obviously very distraught. And it was just a very overwhelming, anxious, scary, scary moment. I think that the biggest issue was is the language barrier. This person was Malaysian. Mm -hmm. She was from Malaysia. She was a local swimming in the water and she's yelling help in her native language. And everyone around her was American, Australian, from China, European, from Europe. Nobody was from Malaysia and nobody understood what she was saying. And it really just made me realize the importance as, you know, when we travel, we learn hello, we learn thank you, we learn please, we learn a lot of basics. But we never, ever take the time to learn the word help. And I think it's, you know, something that made me realize when we are out in public, sometimes we're in local markets where we're the only Westerner, or sometimes we're in certain locations that if something happened to us or our children, it would be very important to be able to communicate that. Also, just out of respect for the local people, it made me feel really bad here. This girl is in her native country mm-hmm. yelling for help in her native language, and none of us reacted quickly. You know, we didn't even know, I didn't even know at that point, how do you call for help? I'm just yelling, call an ambulance, because I, I didn't even know. And so I think that was a very shaking moment to realize, one, we're traveling the world, but like how unprepared we are for an emergency like that. You know, we're prepared as far as insurance, we'll go to a hospital, but in the moment, what would we do? And so I think from now on, that's a big goal of ours is to make sure, A, we learn how to say help in the native language, and B, how do we contact help if we're in a situation where we need to do that? And it's also a lesson, guys, that the beach is gorgeous. The beach was gorgeous, but the beach and the ocean are a very powerful, unpredictable, unpredictable yeah. part of nature. And you just have to be very careful. Thankfully for this person, she was swimming with a friend because had that friend not been there, I think the outcome would have been drastically different. Mm-hmm. And had her friend not known how to say help in English, too. But yeah, so those are my tips. When you're traveling, make sure you learn the word help, which in Malay we were told is tolong, and to call, it's 999. Well, that experience was really intense. Not every experience we had in Langkawi was that dramatic. We also had some fabulous moments on the beach, watching the gorgeous sunsets and playing with our kids. Yeah, in terms of the kids, Nora became so brave in Langkawi. I don't know what it was about the island, but in terms of swimming, she decided she wanted to jump into the pool with us kind of waiting there for her she put her head in the water and she is just well on her way to becoming an avid little swimmer kind of like Santi is yeah it was really really fun to see just how much they've grown and changed throughout this journey so far and the holiday villa in Cowie where we stayed offered like a lot of options for Nora because they had a children's pool a and they had two giant swimming pools. And then they also had this soccer field mm-hmm. that was really fun because Santi's super into soccer right now. So watching him play uh, with other kids he met or with Rod or whoever he could play with, sometimes just by himself, yeah. um, was really exciting. He got all of his energy burnt out and he loved it. They slept very well during those nights. They did. Between <laughs> swimming and soccer and the beach and the playgrounds, they were exhausted, mm-hmm. which as a parent is always fabulous. 
And they were hungry a lot, which really leads us to our last kind of segment today, talking about the food in Langkawi. And what you'll see there is a lot of Malaysian food. So you'll see some curries, a lot of rice. You'll see chicken satay that is very delicious, like skewers of chicken and beef. You can also find Chinese food there. They have a big Mm -hmm. um, Chinese tourism. And Indian, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a very touristy island, but out of the few that go, it's Indian and Chinese seem to be like the Mm -hmm. other two dominating food choices. Yeah. And in terms of dominating food choices, one of the other ones is durian, the king of fruit. How do I describe the durian? It's funny. Before Rod talks about durian, let me say that durian smells so intense that at a lot of hotels, like the hotels we were at, and at airports, and at different places, you see these huge <laughs> signs that say no durian permitted. Like, they're gi- giant signs, and it's like in the lobbies. Like, you are not permitted to have yeah. durian on their property. <laughs> yeah, and everyone feels so strongly about it because it smells so foul. I mean, it's just the weirdest smell. And it's kind of custardy once you open it up. It's the size of, like, a watermelon. But people there, they make pancakes out of it. They make ice cream. McDonald's um, serves McDonald's durians, has, like, like, a durian McFlurry. Uh, McFlurry. Yeah, There's, like, shake. billboards for that. Yeah. So, yes, regardless of how you may or what you may feel about the durian, that's something that you kind of have to try. If you're ever in Malaysia, especially in Langkawi, because you'll see that at kind of street vendors, you'll see people um, cutting up durian, serving little pieces, and giving you samples of it. Speaking of food, if you do like Western comforts or nicer food, it's obviously any restaurant you go to is going to cost more than if you're eating just off the street. Mm -hmm. But we found this fabulous gem. It literally was pure luck. We found it night one, and it was called the Fat Frog Langkawi. And it is this restaurant, when when we first pulled up to it, we thought it was closed, actually. Because, like, at the very front of it, it's, like, this storefront or something that there's nothing in. Yep. So you have to kind of walk through this pathway to get to the back. And all of a sudden, it opens up to this gorgeous golf course Mm -hmm. where the sun sets behind. And, like, the whole golf course turns pink. And this little restaurant had the most amazing food as well as this giant grass area that Santi got to play once again soccer at every night. And they had little games for the kids. And it really was just the perfect spot to have dinner. It was such a beautiful hidden gem. Yeah, it was all open air seating so it's not like we were inside and the kids were outside playing. We were all out there having, you know, we were able to keep an eye on them. We went to play with them while the food was getting prepared. And the owners and staff were like super friendly with the kids like having Mm -hmm. them run around and play and we got to meet a couple locals there so just had like a really laid back like island vibe. Like the food was really good and the restaurant was really nice looking but it was like still so casual it was just that like maui type charm we talked about where it's super nice but also so laid back and people are willing to talk and mingle and i think that's what we love so much about islands in particular is they definitely have that island friendly charm to them And that wraps it up for Langkawi. We loved our week there. We absolutely recommend it to anybody to add to their itinerary if they're ever in Malaysia or Southeast Asia. Thank you guys for listening. Next week, we've been getting a lot of questions about our travels. We're about at the three-month point in our full-time travels. So we we wanted to... Yeah, we get questions from... 
How do you pack? How do you afford it? How do you reach out to companies that you're working with? What are some tips and tricks to traveling with kids? How do you do laundry? I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh So we wanted to dedicate next week's episode to our first ever listener mailbag. Yeah, so send us those questions, guys. We love to hear from you. We can't see you. So really, unless you comment or send us feedback, we don't even know you're there. It's just (laughs) Rod and I in this closet (laughs) awkwardly talking so let us know you're there Um, we would also really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes that way any review will help us reach more listeners get more of our story told to other people and we would really really appreciate it if you took the one minute that it takes to go into iTunes leave a review and let us know what you think of the show yeah and subscribe while you're there because you know we want you to be a part of our community not just like a passerby (laughs) right we want you to be here with us yeah we've had life-changing transformations throughout this journey and we really hope that those that are considering this kind of lifestyle that you've learned a little bit from this episode or throughout the podcast and always know that we're always here to help you out We're here for all of you travel-loving people, but until next week, happy happy jet-setting. The music for today's show has been provided by The Long Valley with additional music by BMC. The Podglomer. A sonic universe. Ever wonder if they were listening to you? So did Al Franken. Yep, that Al Franken. He was just on our podcast impersonating his former Senate colleagues in the name of privacy. What the Hack with Adam Levin will make you feel more chill about the unchill things that happen online and off with easy-to-understand tips to make your life a little less hackable. Join us as we look at the ways people get scammed and hacked. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a weekly cyber true crime show that unravels a fresh new hell every Monday. What the Hack with me, Adam Levin. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, board certified OBGYN, and you may know me from social media where I spend a lot of my time educating about everything reproductive health. This podcast is called Let's Talk About Down There, and that's what I'm doing. I am talking about down there with no shame, no stigma, a lot of fun, and a lot of education. And why? Because when we talk about these things, we educate and we empower ourselves. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them.